All right, if you could turn your Bibles to uh, Mark 9. In, I, as I was praying for service today, and it just I was overwhelmed with the thought of, of what it's like to need a, a dad, what it's like to need a father. And as I was thinking and praying this morning, I remember some instances as I was getting ready to go on the mission field and you didn't really know I was going to China and we were going to be there for, for a, not long, but we were going to do a short-term outreach of taking Bibles across the border. And then also we were going to do a culture exchange where we were going to go to mainland China and stay for two weeks. And it was a really cool experience uh, to be able to do that and share the gospel and actually have fruit from that trip where you're communicating with the Chinese believers that have come to the Lord through your witness and prayers. Uh, exciting. And then going to Turkey uh, was, a, was a quite the thing. Before we moved to Turkey, we had done three short-term outreaches to Turkey. And so where we traveled all across the country passing out Bibles and, and doing evangelism on the street and all these things. But I remember before doing all this, these things, it's like I remember saying, I am not going to go to Turkey. That is a dangerous place. And I remember as we were in Youth with a Mission and getting excited and, and ready to go, uh, this overwhelming sense of dread came upon me in the airport. God had provided miraculously for me as a poor young man. He had provided all the finances that I need right at, right at the last minute as I was standing in line. My leader came up to me and said, hey, this person donated exactly what you needed to go. And it, I was just like, praise the Lord. But I remember getting across, and this was, oh, this was after 9-11, uh, getting across uh, security and everything and just having this overwhelming sense, like, am I going to make it back? And, and what's going to happen? And of course, it was the first time going. Uh, and I remember, I got to call my dad. I just got to call my dad and, and just kind of, talk to him. You know, I have a mom, I got four other brothers, but I need to talk to my dad. And I remember just calling my dad as I was 24 and just bawling, maybe 23, bawling like a baby and said, Dad, I'm scared, I'm scared. And all I needed, and, and he was a pastor at one time and he fell away and, and it's part of my story. But uh, I remember just hearing his voice. I don't even really remember what he said. And he didn't always say the kind things that you would love to have as a child. But I remember just hearing his voice and the comfort that it came. And it just settled me down. And I was able to get on the plane. And here I am till, still today, <laughs> alive and well. But I remember needing, as a child, needing that assurance as the father. And I really don't care how old we are today or young we are, we still need that assurance. Every once in a while that our dad or our mom, but I want to go even further up higher in the totem pole, is that we just need to know that the Father, God, actually knows that we exist. We just need to know. And sometimes we just need to hear his still, small voice saying, Child, it is okay. You are going to make it through. And we're going to be challenged this morning, unless you come to that point, let me be so brave to say that you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Okay, and you guys know me, I like to give it hard, and I don't mean to give it hard because I really believe, and we're going to sing it at the end, Jesus strong and kind, I really do, like if I could give you anything, I would give it to you, the Father heart of God and the kind and compassionate Jesus because he truly is, and those who have come to know him have, do know him as a kind and a gentle but fierceful king. But you only see it through a child's eyes. And so let's read scripture, and then I'm going to pray, and then I will do my best to, to, to give uh, what the Lord has placed on my heart by His grace uh, to give to you this morning. But let's read Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37, and then we're going to skip over to chapter 10, and then we're going to read 13 through 16. And I have to admit to you, I don't want to just keep you too long today, but it may take me a while to get to 38 through 50 because I've got some skin in the game and so I was thinking about that and it's like I need to be able to kind of settle my emotions down when it comes to verses 38 through 50 because I believe today there are people that have crept into the body of Christ that have actually are trying to throw stumbling blocks in front of believers and to trip them up and I even think some have crept among us and it's it's not good so I want you to know we're going to get there, but we're going to let the Lord settle my heart before we get there. But we're going to deal with what it is to, to cause children to stumble and, and to cause uh, uh, those that are in Christ to stumble. But anyway, let's read. That's coming, so you've got to come back right? Uh, in a couple weeks. It says, from there they went out and began to go through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know about it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him, and when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Taking a child, he set him before them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me does not receive me but him Who sent me? Let's go over to chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. That's a big word there, at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning and we look to you. And Father, I ask you in your name, Jesus, that you would show us the Father's heart this morning. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that eternal life is in you. 
And that every one of us this morning have an opportunity to be born again. And Lord, so I pray and ask that you, Holy Spirit, would do your work in us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see, that we would not close our eyes and give us ears to hear, and that we would not ignore your voice. And would you give us hearts to understand, Lord, so that we may turn to you and actually be converted and know who you truly are. And so, Lord, we ask for the grace this morning in your mercy, in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I want to give us a story about where we're at in Mark. And if you're joining with us, we've been in the book of Mark for a long time. And we just talked about the transfiguration of Jesus where they came from the mountain. As they were coming off the mountain, actually Jesus revealed himself. Uh, They saw his revelation of who he was and, and they got scared and they just was a different type of scene which it would be for all of us. And as they were coming off the mountain, there was an argument that happened. And they, the scribes were, were talking and arguing with the disciples. And, and Jesus saw this. He asked what the problem was. And he said, the, uh, the man whose son had a demon came and said, I asked your, your disciples to cast the demon out and they could not do it. And Jesus talked to them. And basically, Jesus ended up rebuking the spirit. And we know the spirit was fierce. We know it was extremely fierce. And some of the story to it is sometimes, and I want to kind of say this again, is that we are presumptuous sometimes when we walk into situations that we aren't really for sure how to handle. And Jesus encourages his disciples saying, listen, these type of things do not happen without much prayer. Okay, and sometimes we ignore and forget the fact is that we just think that we have all this authority to do whatever we want, whenever we want, and we are very presumptuous when God has not really given us this authority. And Jesus encourages us to go to prayer. And I believe that is where we find our true authority. That is where we find out what He is doing and we walk in the will. Because you notice Jesus, and I'm not going to preach that sermon again, Jesus did not need to go to prayer. But it shows something about Jesus. He's all authority. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's everything. Then he only does what the Father, he sees the Father doing. And so here we are, and, and after that scene, and it must have been quite the scene, he pulls them away, and they're going through Galilee. Then he's starting, and he only wants the disciples because he wants to, them to have some knowledge. Like, what is getting ready to happen? Remember, because on the mount, this all flows together. On the mount, what was Elijah and Moses revealing to Christ? What was getting ready to take place in Jerusalem? His death. That is what they were doing and talking, and we talked about that and, and already. But So he's revealing to them, listen, the Son of Man, in verse 31, is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and after he has been killed, he will rise on the third day. And they had the audacity to argue about who was the greatest in the kingdom. Can you imagine what Jesus was thinking? 
Here I am like telling them I am getting ready to be crucified on the cross, but yet all they can think about is who is the greatest in the kingdom. But here, we need to give a little bit of grace to the disciples. And we need to give a little grace to ourselves in this journey called being a disciple of Christ is they were not able, according to Scripture, to understand what Jesus was talking about. The Spirit had not revealed to them exactly what all this was. It would not be revealed until it actually happened. And then He opened their eyes to understand. And what's so cool about the Bible, what's so cool about Christianity is we don't hide behind anything. We don't always understand. We don't always know. But we do know that God is in complete control. And the author of this book, who is being dictated by Peter, is just showing all these things. But, but here it is. They were not under, able to understand. But yet, it feels like they were almost embarrassed because it goes on and he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? It's not that because they were sorrowful about what Christ said to them, that he would suffer and die. But yet, I don't know what went on, but it's like, well, who's the greatest? And I think it's funny is... Don't we still have those arguments today? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And it's so interesting. We went through the book of 1 Corinthians and it talked about, and we're going to talk about a scripture from 1 Corinthians. But isn't it always we turn out to do? We want our way, our way, our way all the time. We jump into situations and we're like, I'm the greatest. And nobody would say that, would we? Not in Christianity. But if we're honest, we act like that, don't we? I remember, and I share this story, but since you're new, this is going to be a first story for you, but the hundredth time for the people here. That's what pastors do. But I remember coming off the mission field, serving eight years at church planting in Turkey, and thinking I had so much to offer the body of Christ. So much, and here I come. I'm going to return, and I'm just going to be on fire for Jesus. Everybody is going to listen to me because I got something to say. And I remember the Lord dealing with Alyssa and I, and, and we just He set us aside for two years. In the midst of that two years, it was really a reshaping uh, of all that we thought, and we just jumped off the cliff. And, and, and I remember, because as, a, as an old Pentecostal rising up, the best thing you could do is become a pastor. I guess the greatest thing. And I remember the Lord just dealing with me and saying, I am going to do with you what I want to do with you. But we all want to be known, don't we? We do. I think sometimes we belong to church because we want to be known. It's part of community. It's part of being reality. But here's the deal. It is that he called this child to himself and he, and he took the child and he says, Listen, if anyone wants to be first, 
He should be the last of all and servant of all. And he took a child in verse 36 and he, he set the child before them. And taking them as, in his arms, he said, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. You see, in point number one is who is the greatest among us? And I did not mean to, Muhammad Ali, like, I thought, oh my goodness, it's in my nose. And I thought, it's going to be on the screen, because I didn't take that out. <laughs> and here it is on the screen. When I think about somebody that says, who's the greatest? I think of Muhammad Ali. <laughs> so that was not meant to be there. <laughs> That's how my mind works. But an argument started, it must have been a pretty big argument. What? Oh, thank you. All right. Thank you. <laughs> oh. It must have been a really big argument. But it isn't the way it is. Master's getting ready to leave, and, but we need to jockey for position. We need to kind of just rub our way up there. And who is the greatest? Like, who is the favorite? Who's going to be the next in line to take over? And Jesus, later on in a different part, what does he do right after they're arguing about? This isn't the only time they would argue about who's the greatest. We need to be reminded that we're not the greatest. That the servant of is the greatest. Because what did he do? He washed the feet of the disciples and he served them. That on that night when, before he was betrayed, he actually washed their feet. And listen to this. This is where I uh, have been thinking a lot about the very thing I love, which is church. And the structure of how our culture has done church. I love the way we do church. But the very thing I love is the very thing that I believe needs to change. You might say, what do you mean? I'm not a rebel. I'm not up here. You guys know me better than that. I just don't want to throw things aside because I love church. But here's the deal. The pastor, the elders, the ministry leaders are not the only ones who are meant to serve. You see what has happened in our cultures that we've made this way and it's changing. It's got to change. If we don't change, we'll be changed. We need leaders. We need pastors. We need elders that is healthy. But we all need to serve. So listen, I don't want you to think that sitting on the pew is good enough. I was talking to uh, 
and this, is, this will relate, I was talking to a missionary friend who has served in Sudan and, and recently in Egypt, and, and now he's doing uh, recruiting and different things, and, and we were talking about this maddening thing that is going on in the United States of America the last three years. We know it has been extremely rough, we know that we are extremely tired, but there's one thing that we as ministers are fed up with. is people who sit behind a keyboard. People who tell you how you should serve and how you should do church that aren't doing anything. They want to tell you what to do and you're just like, it's maddening. Go out and do it if you want to complain. And this isn't us. I'm just kind of, I told you I needed a couple weeks to get things in order in my own heart. But it's just, it's getting maddening. Go out and do it. And that is why I loved having Brother Mark come and share about abortion because he does it. He's out serving. He's out doing it. And it's getting so much so that we got to be the same thing. We have to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I am not telling you anything that I was not challenged about when I first came to Christ. I looked around me and I said, I am not meant for these pews. Because what does it say about Jesus? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So you want to be the greatest? I'm going to tell you how to be the greatest. Follow Muhammad Ali. Oh, I, mean, I mean Jesus. Let's go to Philippians. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And this is, we are going somewhere. And so I'll, I'll try to, to get us there. It says this, and, and it's relevant for us today. And it's about being childlike. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, and if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in who? Christ Jesus. Who are we to follow? Jesus. What is His example? He laid it all down so it's not about who is the greatest. It's who is Willing to become like a child. 
You see, point number two is becoming childlike. Remember Jesus taking the child aside. He puts him in front of of them all and says, look, he takes his child in his arms and kind of look at it deeper. Let's go to Matthew 18. It will maybe be on the screen, but 18.25, it's the same story. But it gives a little bit of different uh, insight into more of what Jesus is talking about. And what Peter is, is telling us in Mark. And he called a child to himself and set him before them. And said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. So when I read this, I begin to question, what did this child do to deserve what Christ just spoke to him? What did this child do that would cause Christ to speak such words over him? He let Christ take him. He's dependent. He was looking at Christ. good. It's good. Okay, real quick. Yep, very good. Very good. That's good. Teachable. So, I want to get down to the nitty gritty because all that was good. But I want to offer just something different to us this morning. That child did nothing. That child did nothing. He came, Christ called him, and Christ was making a point. He says, look at this child. Unless you become like this child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And you see, the kingdom of heaven is for those who will be childlike. And everything that was spoken by everybody, everything that said, it's so characteristic of a child, isn't it? And Jesus says, unless you are converted, like one of these little children, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. And and so I want to talk just real briefly about this awesomeness of being born again. And we can never get tired of talking about this. Why do I say that? Because there's a phenomenon that needs to take place within the heart of the believer. What is that? That you know what it is to be born again. Now you might be saying, well, this is simple. Is it really that simple? Yes, it is that simple. 
But it's also extremely profound. Because I was sharing my experience, like, okay, I've been a believer for 20 plus years. And it wasn't until 10 years ago or, or, or less that I realized I'm born again. I was saved. Don't get me wrong. I was saved. I was actually taking the gospel to the world. And then this one question took place in my mind. Well, what is the gospel? My soul starts saying, oh, man, what am I sharing? What am I giving here? And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm not questioning. I'm, I'm not tearing down my faith. I'm just figuring, what in the world? And then, then I look at John chapter 3. And as he's talking to Nicodemus, and it just becomes alive. This, 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 this flesh in, inside here is something is new. Something is new, and, and I can't explain it, but it's new. And yet I look on the outside, and we're going to talk about just in a moment, but my outside is saying something opposite. And I'll prove my case and point to that same missionary friend that I was talking to. I was telling him about how, hey, if any, because we went to YWAM together, we roomed together, and he was a pretty cool guy. And I just said, you know what, you're going to think this is weird, but about 10 years ago, I realized what it meant to be born again. He's been a believer longer than I, on fire. I mean, he's, a, he's in Sudan, giving the gospel, in Egypt, giving the gospel. He says, you know what happened to me two years ago? I was just sitting, studying my Bible, and all of a sudden, the Spirit came. I wasn't even looking at it, and I was born again. For two weeks, he cried. You see, conversion is turning and changing our ways. It is not that complicated. It's not about rules and regulations. We have made it complicated. Could it be that we again need to be born afresh, born again, and being like a child, a child trusts, A child is innocent until that innocence is stolen from that child. And it's true. Now, I'm going to talk about that just in a minute. The innocence that is stolen from a child is really big. But you see, this, this naivety, is it so bad of being ignorant of sin? And we have a world today that wants to educate our children about sin at an early age. And some parents have the audacity, and I've sit and listened to school boards saying, well, they already know it, so we might as well teach it. Really? Why not teach kids the right way? What is holy? What is righteous? Why not? But it's becoming childlike. It's saying, Lord, I, I trust you. I know you. I need you. That is what faith is. Faith is saying, God, you are in control. And I am going to give it all to you. And I trust you. I sit down and I say, oh, God, I know that you got this under 
control. That is what being childlike is about. How much more do we need to know this today in our time when this year is crazy alone? And just so you know, like I hate to burst your bubble, but the craziness is not in it yet. And then I begin to think of Matthew 5 and Matthew 6 and the Sermon on the Mount. And some say Jesus was putting a standard up there that wasn't able to be reached. But I want to say this. When you become childlike, that standard is not so hard. Because a child, is a child a true child when they're five or six years old? Are they worrying about where they're going to get their food from? Maybe. Some might. Okay, I don't want to say, but... I remember as a child, we were a poor family. I remember as my dad was a pastor, and sometimes we didn't always know where our food was coming from, but I tell you, as a child, I didn't really care. It was always there. It was always there. Maybe not what I wanted, but it was always there. You see, God is, wants us to do the same thing as He wants us to rely on Him. And He's saying this emphatically. Unless you become like this, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So I want to kind of give you a few little tidbits of being childlike. It's being trustful of others and of God. It's being obedient. And it's funny, I got to tell this story because we had this epic Little League game yesterday. And two of the best teams are facing. One of them was my team. I have to admit. And the jokesters decided to put the two best teams together to play the first round of the playoffs. So we just said that was our championship round. And we went back and forth. Usually games last an hour and a half, but it was a two and a half hour game. Your pastor got a little heated in the motions. I was really childish, not childlike. I'm going to talk about that. But there's something I love being able to be with these children. And I don't only, I found something else that I really love is the dads who want to be there with the children. We all have this purpose that we want to see our kids do the best they can do. And we, we just come together and this common ground is that we want to do this. And I found it great and fulfilling in my life is to do, uh, to do a work with people that want to do a work with me. But there's something about those that we coach. And I figured out the state, I guess it's from a league of their own, is like, you don't cry in baseball. Well, nine-year-olds do cry in baseball. But there's something about some of the kids. They get disappointed, they cry, all that stuff, and you got to walk them through it. But those that are teachable, those are the ones that you see progression. By the end of the year, they've changed. And you know, why is it in Christianity that we don't feel the same, that we don't need to grow, that we don't need to be obedient? A child is obedient 
for the most part. If not, you get out the rod and you make them obedient. Okay, edit that. Uh, in innocence, a child is innocent. And here's a big thing about childlikeness. is forgiveness. And if you don't mind, I just want to just speak on this just for a moment because some of us have had some really bad things done to us. Things that were unjust. Things that were horrible. But you know what? Forgiveness is a key. You see, because how do we give a foothold to the enemy? It's when we let bitterness creep in. And then what comes after that is all kinds of things. And as a child, they are forgiving. Like, you see, we, we know this to be true. It's like some of, I, I try to be a good parent, but I know I fail miserably. How many of you, can any other parent just raise their hand with me saying how bad of a parent you are at times? Man, praise the Lord, I'm not alone. But barring anything really terrible, your kids almost just forget. Not everything. Some things you're going to have to work through. And I'm not looking forward to what my children have to work through. <laughs> but I tell them, say, come to me. When you're working through that, come to me. I want to, to, to receive. I want you to forgive me and I want to work through it with you but it is it's the forgiveness matters so listen you may have had the worst thing done to you but you still need to forgive and I'm going to tell you this there's only one way to forgive only one way and one way only and that is when you look to the cross and you realize that the father in heaven has forgiven you you cannot forgive on your own you need to be forgiven And that is being childlike. It doesn't mean you forget. Okay? It doesn't mean you forget. But it means you let go. And you forgive. The next of being childlike is humility. It's being known for who you are. Nothing more and nothing less. Like, it, wouldn't it be cool uh, if you came to church and you didn't care what anybody thought about you? Wouldn't that be cool? Or when you walk into the grocery store and it's crowded and nobody really cares what you look like and you're just kind of able to let go and just be you? Isn't that what they tell you? Be you? Uh, anyway, wouldn't that be good to be childlike in humility? Just being who you are. You have nothing to prove. You see, that child that came to Jesus, when she called him, he had nothing to prove. He actually had nothing to give. And you see, the ultimate thing with childlikeness is you realizing that you have nothing to give, but you have everything to receive. And it is the grace of God. And by the grace of God and His forgiveness, then you can give. 
And I, I just love it when the Lord shows me all my pride. It feels so good. But if we realize, the sooner we realize our pridefulness, I believe the sooner we get released from our pridefulness. But here's one thing that I want to make very clear to you. Childlikeness is different than childishness. I'm from Arkansas, and uh, childness, somebody say it for me, like child, childish, thank you. Childish behavior is different than being childlike. And you see, our child, childishness comes out when we're not being childlike. Now get it, kids can throw some good tantrums, and so can adults. But 1 Corinthians 3, 1-3 says this, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. When we are walking in the flesh, we are walking of infants in Christ. He says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy... And strife among you, which sounds like the disciples. So we're in good company here, right? We're a work in progress, each one of us. And that's what, why we come together is to remind ourselves. For since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? And then 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says this, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. Then like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, <laughs> sorry. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. So listen, there's a difference between childlikeness and acting like a child. And we were walking in the flesh, we were acting like a child. But when we're walking in the Spirit, we, have, we are walking in childlikeness. So how do we stay childlike? And I want to remind us this morning, this is how we stay childlike. As hard as it has gotten, and as tired as we have become of our, what our culture is thrown at us and others have thrown at us. This is how we stay childlike. And I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did it first, or else I am coming to you and re will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Let me ask you this morning. I remember it as, as if it was yesterday. And it grieves me that the church has come so far. 
do you remember a time in your walk with Christ that you were just happy to be here? Serving and loving others well? Do you remember? And forgiving others for their shortcomings? You see, at the end, Jesus is not going to look at you and say, did you pass what we call the doctrinal test, the theology test? Although doctrine and theology are extremely important, do not get me wrong, I love it, I embrace it, but no, that is not even the key. It's no, did you love the Lord your God with all your heart, and did you love your neighbor as yourself? And he's asking us, do you truly know me? Do you know what I am like? Remember that I saved a wretch like you and that you too were utterly lost when I came to you. Do you remember what you were before you came to Christ? How did you treat the poor? How did you treat the sick? How did you treat the sinner? And if you're with us this morning, I have to admit to you, one of the reasons I felt like the Lord brought us to the book of Mark is because we had turned to an ugly place and had forgotten to love the sinner. We forgot to love a lost and dying world. Do you remember being trapped in your sin? I do. Do you remember being set free from the traps of sin? I do. You want to stay childlike is that you get to know Jesus. You get to see the real Jesus. No one can know the Father except whom the Son reveals the Father to. And I want you to know that you need to know the real Jesus. And maybe this is for somebody this morning is that you've heard people call themselves Christians and act totally opposite of what Christ would be like if he was standing among us. And I have been that to others. But here's how we stay childlike. You keep serving. You keep loving. Trusting the best in one another. In one another. Forgiveness and being teachable. And as I was thinking about that this morning is that one of the pitfalls of being childlike at times is that you're trusting. And when people walk through these doors, you don't know what you're always going to get, do you? we got them 
then our question for us is how are we going to treat them? Are we going to embrace people? Or are we going to shun people? I will tell you this much. We need to embrace people. There's one thing that I know for sure is that God desires that no one would perish but all come to repentance. And that Christ died for us while what we were still in our sin. And with that, we want to be childlike and we want to go back to our first love and we want to say, Jesus, we realize that we have come so far, but would you help us sit before you to learn from you and to know you. So as the worship team comes, we're going to end in that note and I'm going to pray for us. And the song we're going to sing is is very appropriate. It's strong and, and kind. And we have a Savior that is able to do more than we could ever think or imagine or even ask. And so I want to call us to a place of childlikeness again. So let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you this morning that you are our example. That you encourage us, Lord, to serve. And you didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. Lord, would you help us, Lord, return to you our first love.